Well, good morning once again, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. If you didn't catch before, my name's Rich. I'm one of the co-lead pastors today. One of my elders of our church pointed out that uh, on this day three years ago, Greg, my other half, and I were voted in as your co-lead pastors. So it's uh, fun to celebrate three years. Um, it is great to be with you in your bulletin. There's a half sheet of paper. It says the Gospel of Luke right on the top. That there is for you. You can jot down notes, verses, ideas, questions. Uh, you can draw pictures. Whatever you do, just don't draw pictures of me. Uh, but uh, you can draw Greg since he's not here. Uh, draw a picture of him. Greg's not here uh, because he's doing something that we are continuing to look for opportunities to do, and that is to serve our neighborhood. Down the street, there's a company called uh, All That Dance, one of the greatest uh, dance companies around here. And uh, over the weekend, all day, literally yesterday and all day today, they have every age group of child dancing in every form or fashion. And uh, Greg is the MC for every single one of those, which is pretty awesome. Um, so uh, they're getting to hear him all day long. Uh, so we're very thankful for that. Um, if you're new here with us, we are in week two of our new sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses. And what we're going to see is a story that's kind of a, a miracle. It's kind of a parable. It's kind of an epiphany story. All about what it means to be called followers of Christ. What that call looks like. And it also is a scene to help us understand how the Holy Spirit moves in our day-to-day -day life. Uh, so before we start, I'm going to pray and, and then we'll dive in. Father, Son, Spirit, we welcome you into this space. Uh, as we breathe in, we breathe in your spirit and recognize your presence. As we feel a little bit of this fan kind of blowing, we, we recognize your presence. So we ask this morning that you would teach, to help us to hear, help us to see those words in your text that apply to our lives, and help us to know how to respond. You have called each one of us. Help us to hear what that call is. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have a Bible today, you can open it to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If not, no worries. The text will be displayed behind me as well. But before we look at the text, I want you to take two things into consideration before you hear this story. The first is, I want you to hear right from the very beginning that this story happens in a totally unexpected way. The characters, the people involved have no idea that their life is about to change. They aren't praying some crazy prayer. They're not doing some super spiritual act to make any of this happen. And I say this up front because what I want you to hear from the very beginning is that is how God works. He gets involved into your day-to-day -day stuff. It's not something we can predict. And my own experience is I can't predict what the Spirit is doing. And just like the Scripture talks about in John 3.8, the Spirit moves like the wind. And we can't predict where it's coming and where it's going. And it's the same thing with this. Going about doing our day-to-day -day life, God enters in and calls us into deeper action. So I want you to take that in consideration before we even hear the story. But I also want you to think about that Holy Spirit work in your story. The second thing to consider is that this story and all of what's going on is happening in the course of people going about doing what they simply would do out of obedience. They're fishermen in this story. And fishermen do the work of fishing. That's what they do. 
in the first century, that meant going out to the Sea of Galilee at night. That's where this story takes place. Casting out these nets into the water, fishing all night, and then coming ashore at daybreak. And when our text says, as we will see, that Peter and the others were clearing their nets, they are at the end of the night. They are taking care of these nets so they could go about fishing the next day when the opportunity comes around. It's these giant nets, kind of like this picture shows. My point is, because this is a story about call and what it means to be followers, it's important for us to note that as we are seeking to find our call or to discover what it is that God's calling us to do, I want you to see that it happens out of these people simply being obedient to what they already know they should be doing. Fishermen fishing. So if you're a teacher, you teach. If you're a cook, by all means, cook for us. Uh, If you are a parent, parent, you name it, whatever that is, if you want to discover God's will for your future, start by doing the things you simply know to do in your present situation. And the reason why I say that is because many of us are sitting here asking the question, God, what is your will for my life? And we're sitting back waiting for those mountaintop experience, clouds opening, big voices coming out, telling us what to do. But we pray these prayers, God, show me your will. And I believe God is saying, I've already showed you your will. Just go and do it. Do your day to day. And I'm going to come alongside and lead you. So as a teacher, you teach. As you are a parent, please continue. If you do finances, by all means, help us with our finances. If you're a student, do what that calls you to do. And it's in those simple acts of obedience that you already know you're supposed to be doing that God's going to come and walk alongside and enter in and take us to different places. I want you to keep that in mind with your story as we look at this story. The text, again, is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. Um, If not, it's behind me. It says this, One day... As Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This text, again, is a picture of what it looks like to be called as a disciple. And I want you to see it starts off with a group of simply frustrated fishermen cleaning their nets after a long, hard night. And what I mean by that is it starts off with a sense of need. Now, I'm a city boy. I've grown up in the city. I don't know a lot about fishing. I've never actually fished before in my life. 
I, I don't watch the fishing channel if there is even a fishing channel. Um, I, I don't hang out with people with fishing, like those crazy boots, those things. I don't do any of that. What I know about fish, I like mine fried. I like Cajun style as well. You cook it on the grill, fantastic. I will enjoy it. I don't know a lot about fishing outside of that. But what I can tell is that fishing is hard work. And I'm not just talking about sitting on the dock with a beard, you know, casting out and hmm. That probably is hard work, I don't know. But I'm talking about fishing for a living. Peter, Andrew, James, John, they fish the Sea of Galilee year round. This is their profession. This is what they do day after day. And they take the fish that they catch, they sell it locally, or the fish is salt cured and sold as far away as Spain. And I really want you to know that because this is not a task that makes them rich, but if they work hard, it's going to take care of their family. And that's what they do. And it's this morning that Peter and the others are tired, they're exhausted, they're probably in a foul mood because they just worked their tails off and failed to catch anything after a long night's work. And I ask you, have you ever been there? You've had a super long day at work, 12-hour day, and you have literally nothing to show for it. You're exhausted, you're frustrated, you're unmotivated, you wish things were different. These fishermen are busy mending their nets, which you can imagine is an incredibly time-consuming work, made even more difficult at the frustration that they didn't catch a fish after all night. And Jesus comes along and asks Peter if he can use his boat. And Peter responds, yeah, go for it. He knows Jesus. He's heard of the movements of Jesus, just like Greg taught us last week. The word is out. He's a rabbi. And he comes by and says, professional. He knew the lake. He's been working there day after day. Even with fishermen knowing that there are nights where you're not going to get a good catch. He could have said to Jesus, you know what, Lord? This is not worth your trouble. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a carpenter. I'm the fisherman. Listen to me. I know this is not worth it. But what does Peter do? Instead, Peter says it this way. Because you say so. Or the King James says it this way. Nevertheless, at thy word. And Peter then follows it with a second response. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And it's that second part of that phrase that shows the cooperation. The fish aren't just going to literally jump into the boat by themselves. We have a part to play. We have a role. We still have to go to work. We still have to do those meetings. We have to see the counselor and go to school. We actually have to share the gospel and do our homework and and write those papers and, and train and show up. And I believe there's a lot of times where we are praying for things and the answers are waiting for us to simply let down our nets. To put down our nets into the deep water, to do our part. That's when God will do his. I found this quote by Lloyd Ogilvie, which if you're old like me, you remember the commercials that would say, Salon Perm? And no, Ogilvie. The bald guy knows these things. So uh, the quote goes like this. Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. Which is interesting. The story continues with a demonstration of 
divine power in Jesus's only way he can. Verse 6 and 7 says this, When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, if you're a fisherman, this is your dream, right? Utter amazement. Because you get pumped. Like, you... You catch a fish. I don't know. I've never caught a fish, so don't ask me. But I would imagine that's a pretty cool experience. And imagine filling your boat. They've spent a lifetime fishing in the hopes for something crazy like this would happen. It's an incredible sight. Like they've never seen so many fish in the nets that the nets are breaking. I don't know about you, but when I think of this story, I always kind of picture this boat that looks a little like like someone cut down a tree and kind of carved it out. So it's kind of like a canoe. Um, see if this thing works if you could go to the next slide there's a picture of what this boat might have looked like they're generally around 20 to 30 feet long so you can imagine two 30 foot boats completely filled with fish flopping around the nets are breaking they're on the verge of sinking and these people are trying to get back to shore and these are fishermen can you imagine how much fish that is and I want to be clear, the fish had been there all along. It's not like Jesus just kind of said, hey, there, let there be more fish. The fish had been there the night before when they failed to catch nothing. Professional fishermen. But Jesus gets in the boat and everything changes. The text continues. We see Peter's response to this amazing situation. It says this, verse 8, He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And this part of the story always intrigued me. They just, fishermen, just got the mega lottery of fish. And his response to Jesus is, Get away from me. I beg you, Jesus, to leave. I always find that funny initially, but then when I started thinking about it, when you think about success and failure, I actually think if we're honest, we handle failure a lot better than we do success. When we lose, we can come up with every excuse in the book to make it possible to handle it, right? Wasn't the right time. My boss hated me. She didn't love me. I didn't need the money. The market wasn't right. The refs were against us. The balls weren't inflated properly. You name it. We make excuses in order for losing to be easier, even though we don't like to lose. But when it comes to success, we don't know what to say. You don't see a lot of interviews of people saying, you know, we were just we knew we were going to destroy that team. We are better than everybody else. No one has a chance to beat us. You don't see someone on Wheel of Fortune going, I knew I was going to win a gazillion dollars because I am the smartest human being on the face of the earth. Right? We don't see that because we don't know what to do with success. Now, what if God just absolutely blew your categories and gave you success beyond any dreams you've possibly had? What if God let you fail so he could give you overwhelming success later beyond any of your own abilities? That would be 
a different kind of success that I think most of us would have a hard time handling. And if we're honest, most of us, if we're ready for success, I'd call it medium success. It's not outrageous success. And Peter, he's got human success in mind. He doesn't have God-sized miracles in mind. He had room in his mind for anything he could handle on his own, anything that he could picture on his own. Jesus gets involved and blows his circuits beyond anything you can imagine. His understanding of God's providence has just gotten utterly destroyed. And it's this that drives him to his knees in prayer. The scene echoes other call stories, like the one in Isaiah. When Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up in chapter 6, Isaiah says this, Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Once Peter realized who Jesus really was, the true Son of God from heaven, he saw himself in a new light. Because when we see God, we see ourselves as we truly are. And that vision can be very hard to handle. Peter's changed deeply from the inside. His pride is blown away by a transforming vision of Christ. His grace, his love, his forgiveness, his power. And then the text continues, verse 10 and 11. Then Jesus says to Simon, Don't be afraid. For now on you will fish for people. Literally, you will catch people alive. So they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything and followed him. I don't know about you. I find it significant that Jesus seems to kind of ignore Peter's de- desperate confession of unworthiness. He doesn't say, yeah, you're right, or anything like that. Why? Jesus knows the truth about Peter. He always has. What matters is that Peter now knows the truth about himself. Peter understands for the first time his true need for God. And it's with this understanding that he is now ready to serve. And that's part of Peter's testimony. I remember when I was back in college, a friend of mine sent me this email with... um, a prayer, a one-sentence prayer he challenged me to pray. And uh, the prayer was this. Lord, do things I'm not used to. Do things I'm not used to. It's an invitation to the God of the universe to enter into my little world and to shake it up however God wants to. It's a way of saying, God, here's my life. I have it ordered the way I would choose. Here's my wife. Here's my children. Here's my church. Here's my friends. Here's all my belongings. Here's all the stuff. I have it laid out for you. I'm inviting you to come into my world, rearrange it in any way you would like if it would make me more effective in your kingdom. And for Peter and these other guys that choose to follow Christ, that meant for them leaving behind their old life, including the greatest vision and dream that they could ever have imagined of fish, giving up their boats, giving up their nets and their livelihood, and following Christ into an absolutely unknown future. The word followed, used in the text, literally means to walk the same road. 
That's what a disciple does. They, they walk the same road as Jesus, and they follow wherever it leads. No guarantees, no maps, no deals, no special promises in that sense. You simply walk the road every day, simple steps of obedience, allowing that to lead you into deeper waters of faith for his glory. Now, as we end, I think it's always important for us to ask the so what. Why did you just say all this? Why do we look at this? What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with us? Because this is kind of a parable, kind of a miracle, kind of a call type story, I think it's important for us to consider the general idea of the text. And so with this slide, I'd like you to see what I think we have here in general terms. We have a text that has everyday people doing their particular everyday tasks, faithfully present in their neighborhood, taking small steps of obedience that leads them ultimately into deeper faith that is cooperating with Jesus, and the result is that all of them end up moving outward. There's the general picture. All of this is underlying this idea of cooperating, joining with Jesus to share the gospel, to take it outward with everyone. Now, as I was studying this text, I kept coming back to this idea for us as a church, for us as individuals, for myself, and it had to do with this idea of, am I reaching out? Have I moved outward? Have I been faithfully doing what God calls me to do in such a way that's reaching outward and catching others with the gospel? Maybe another way of asking this is, why aren't we catching more people with the gospel. And I came up with three thoughts for us to ponder. These are ones that I have to ponder. I hope you ponder them as well. The first one is that I think some people, some churches, don't catch people because they refuse to go into the deep waters. Jesus tells Simon, let's leave the shallows and go into the deep. And everybody, I don't even know how to fish, knows that the schools of the big fish are in the deep waters. It's the first rule of fishing. You want to catch the fish, you got to go where the fish are. And we shouldn't really limit this to fish only, right? This is a general teaching spiritual principle. You want more wisdom, you want more love, you want more healing, you want more peace. All of those things that we want in abundance, you can't catch them unless you go into the depths. Deep water is where the increase is. It's the deep that requires faith. And it's in the deeps, in the depths of water, that there's risk. The other day I saw this clip of a guy fishing for a shark. He's got about, uh, he's about to catch this like four foot long shark. And, uh, well, here you can see
right out from under you. Now, as a person who doesn't know how to swim, that just gave me more reasons to stay out of the depths, right? Visibility in deep water is virtually nothing. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. You have to trust the words and the directions of others who've passed through those depth waters before. And Jesus is always inviting his people to the deeper ends of things. And that means you don't know. You, you don't expect a five-foot shark to get swallowed by some other crazy beast. The problem is, shallow water is quite pleasant. Right? It tickles your ankles. You walk in it. It's refreshing. The little minnows are there. Half-grown fish, you know, no big deal. There's not nearly as many sharks to worry about. You can see all the way to the bottom. That's always comforting. So shallow water is a temptation. It doesn't cost much. It doesn't take a whole lot of courage. And Simon knew that those minnows that he would catch in the shallow wouldn't feed him or anyone else. They wouldn't fill him. They weren't the desires of his heart. The deep water of faith is where those things that we say we want are swimming around in. In other words, it's the shallow area where we're supposed to start the adventure, not where we finish it. So there's a time for us to learn, there's times for us for classes and for listening, but there's a time for us to live out what we've learned. There's a time for us to receive, there's a time for us to give sacrificially, a time for us to to come and enter into worship as the church. There's a time for us to be the church faithfully living outward in our relationships and leading others to worship God. Deep water is where we have to go to get all the things that God has for us. And so I ask you, if you're honest, are you living in the shallow or deep waters of your faith? Or maybe another question is, in what areas of your life is God calling you to go deeper? And how are you responding? Now, a second reason for some people in churches don't catch people, I believe, is because they don't expect to. Jesus tells Simon, let's go to the deep waters, but he doesn't stop there. He says, prepare for a catch. Now, that's encouraging, right? If I was going to have my first fishing experience and someone says, I guarantee you, you're going to catch something, that's exciting to me. This is a word for us who come to church. Thank you for being here. Week after week, we come and we dive into deep waters of worship. But do we prepare for a catch? Do you believe that a blessing is waiting for you? Or do you simply go to appease a spouse or to be seen or worse, just out of dumb habit? I really believe expectations count with God. I believe it's all over the Bible. Expectations are what we call the firstborn child of faith or as scripture says, the substance of things hoped for. It's in those expectations where we go and move into faith. 
And when we say we believe in God, we're not just saying I agree with this abstract idea. We're saying that we expect the things that God has promised he's going to do. And one of the things he promises as we follow him is that he's going to make us fruitful. Jesus does it this way with Simon. He starts off, just let's leave, let's leave the shore, Simon. He says, ah, that's good. Let's, let's go into the deep waters, Simon. Then he says, let's lay down the nets. Now, those are all steps, right? But they're not nearly the thing as I want you to expect a blessing, Simon. Jesus was calling Simon to risk being disappointed in God. And they were facing disappointment. They had already lived that disappointment for hours before then. And so I ask you, what do you expect God to do in and through you or in and through this church? What do you expect? Do you expect God to use you? Do you expect God to use this church? Are you so afraid of God disappointing you that you're not expecting anything? Or maybe another question would be, is your lack of expectation affecting the way you're used by God? So we don't catch people because we don't go to the deep waters. We don't catch people because we don't expect to. And the third thing is, I believe we don't catch people because we think we know more about people than God. And Simon almost makes this mistake. He tells Jesus, and you can kind of imagine in this exasperated tone, you know, I've been fishing all night, and I haven't caught a thing. I know fish. Fish don't come out during the day. Aren't you a carpenter, right? Moonlighting as a preacher somehow. And I think a lot of us act like we know more than God. We might not say it, but we show it with our actions and the way we behave. We hear God's instructions, right? Forgive all. Bless those who curse you. Give abundantly. Forget your life and you'll have a really good time. Remember the Sabbath isn't to get work done. It's to worship and to be with family, right? All these things, we ignore those things. The invitation to abundance, we ignore and we do something different. We say, we know more about marriage. We know more about our healing. We know more about our forgiveness. We know more about children and parenting and our money and our relationships than you do, God. And Simon, for a split second, almost forgets that God is God. And I think we do this all the time. That's what our culture is all about. It's not about humility. So Simon, at this crucial intersection that we all come to over and over again in life, decides that he doesn't know everything. That in his present emptiness and frustration, he is now ready to learn. And to me, that is a great definition of humility, a readiness to learn. People say this story is all about this amazing miracle, lots of fish, um, and I think that's a cool part of the story. But, but I think the real miracle is that Simon and these others decided that God was God and that they would choose to live believing that from now on. Simon says before these miracles happened, Yet, Lord, if you say so, 
I will do this, right? My frustration's real, Lord. My pain is real. My anger and not catching anything is real. My knowledge, my experience, my profession, my abilities, my relationships, all those things are real. They've taught me something. And yet, God, if you say so, I will do it. Not my will, but your will be done. That's when the miracles begin to happen. When we decide that God is God, when our lips and our lives agree that God is God. So I ask you, are you living in such a way that shows that you think you know more than God? Do you live thinking you know your situation and your story better than the God of the universe? Or maybe to ask it another way, in what areas of your life are you being called to humbly let God be God and learn from him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to end with a song. But what I'd like to do is invite you all to stand. Um, And as you stand, um, I would like to ask you to close your eyes as well. Um, Just stand, close your eyes. You all got to stand. Close your eyes. Um, And as you do, close your eyes. I want you to just pause And just be aware of the breath that you're breathing right now. That breath that is giving you life. As your eyes are closed and you're aware of your breathing, I want to remind you that you are not alone. That breath, the Spirit, is with you all the time. The Holy Spirit is with you in the shallow waters, and the Holy Spirit is with you in the depths of the sea, giving you life, giving you a breath. The Spirit is with you in your moments of failure and your moments of success, and everywhere in between as you breathe right now, be reminded of the Spirit in you. Now, with your eyes closed, I want you just for a moment to think about your day-to-day. What's your day-to-day life made up of? Accountant, student, parent, teacher, doctor, professor, unemployed. I don't know what it is. What is your day-to-day life made up of? And I want you to picture in your mind where the deeper waters are within your day-to-day. You can see them. The Spirit, as we learn, comes in unexpected ways as a progression of simple obedience. What might be some of the places that God is calling you to step into as you follow and step with His Spirit? With your eyes closed, what expectations come to mind? And if there are things in the way of you getting there, what needs to move in order for you to respond? Let's pray. God, we come to you today in in honesty, knowing that you do see us, you know us, and you are with us. 
And as we breathe our very breath that gives us life, we remember that you are good, that you are faithful, that you provide and you protect. And more than that, that we need you. We confess our doubts and our questions. We confess our self-reliance that often get in the way of our relationship with you. And God, we come to you and place our day-to-day before you and ask your will to be done. We need you. Help us not to lose track of the gift of your spirit living in and through us, empowering us, helping us to live and move in every moment of our day. We're not alone. We follow in your footsteps in simple obedience. And God, as we do, may we catch others along the way as we cooperate with you for your glory. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.